0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Them Before Us podcast. I'm your host, Jen, and today we have a conversation with Stephanie Blessing. Stephanie is a Christian, pastor's wife, mother, and grandmother who is, quote, donor conceived. She talks about her story with the hopes of getting people to think through the ramifications of using, quote, donors from a biblical perspective. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for joining the Them Before Us podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. It's
0: going to be a great conversation. I know a lot of people will be interested and I think encouraged by this. So maybe just start with a little bit of like where you are, who you are right now. Do you have family? Where do you live? <laughs> Let me tell let's you, start...
1: let's start. I'm glad about... you can
0: edit. I know, seriously. And <laughs> me having the power to edit is the best and I didn't start my stopwatch. Okay, here we go. Let's start with maybe just who you are right now. How old are you? Do you have family? Where do you live? What do you do during the day? We'd love to start off there.
1: Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm 46. I live in Tennessee. Um, my husband is a pastor. We have five kids, um, 22 to 15. We have a three-month-old grandson who we're thrilled to get to spend as much time with him as as possible this is a really weird season of life right now for us god is is uh doing some crazy for us upside down kinds of things so this is not normal life right now in this moment for us but it's still good it's still good
0: i think a lot of people can relate to that especially it feels like from 2020 on was kind of like that joke is last year was 2019 it really just shifted a lot of things for a lot of people right okay take us back to growing up maybe some significant memories you have of of maybe thinking things aren't quite right in my family something kind of interesting is going on but you didn't really know the whole you didn't really know the whole story or the whole context at the time what was your growing up mm-hmm. like
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Because when I was growing up, there was a family picture that hung on our hallway wall. My mom, my dad, me and my sister. I'm five years older than my sister. In the picture, I was about seven, seven years old. I think we still lived in Texas. So that would have made me at the most seven. So my sister was two. Um, it's a picture that I would walk past it every day and I would look at it every now and then, and I would wonder who I look like. I didn't look like my mom. My sister, was a spitting image of my mom. I didn't look like my dad, but I had my dad's dark hair, um, but that was about it. And So I would look at us and feel like the old Sesame Street song, um, one of these things, doesn't belong here, one of these things just isn't the same. And so I do remember asking my mom, who do I look like? And she would say, oh, you look the way God wants you to look. So there were, there were two or three times where that happened throughout my childhood, but I had a great childhood. My my dad, um, and when I talk about my dad, I do mean the man who raised me. I do differentiate between my dad and my biological father. Um my dad loved me. He sacrificed for me. He was just a great dad. He, um, even though when I found out I was donor conceived and usually when I say donor conceived, even though you may not see it, I always put quotations around that in my brain because it's not, it's not donor. A donor is done without money and there was money exchanged, but, um, there were times when I found out that I was donor conceived, especially at the beginning where I went back through my memories and thought, what was my dad thinking in the moment? Like I was not a bad rebellious kid by any stretch of the imagination, but I was still a sinner, And so I still did things that I know annoyed them and got on their nerves. And, you know, that's just the way of things. But, um, but I would think back, like, did my dad ever think, oh, my daughter would never do that. If she were my biological daughter, she would never do that. Um, and so I had to go back through and question all those things. Um, and, and that was okay to do that because when I did that, I was able to say, yeah, my dad really did love me. And, and my husband was um, he was a voice of reason in all of that reminding me that my dad really did love me. And so uh, even though I had a great childhood. I had to I had to refilter all those memories in light of discovering who I actually was now and that was that was challenging to do.
0: Is your younger sister <clears throat> your dad's biological daughter?
1: Yes. So my parents um my mom was 17 when she got married um the summer before her senior year and so oh. I would ask her like did you take your report card home to dad for him to sign it for you because you were a married 12th grader um so she had me at 31 they were married 14 years before i was born and um, my sister is five years younger than me so they were married 19 years when my dad finally was able to get my mom pregnant um and the way my mom tells it, she didn't even realize her cycle was always off. There were, there were problems on both sides in fertility. And so because her cycle was always off, she didn't realize that she was pregnant for weeks. I I don't know how far along she was when she finally realized, Hey, maybe I ought to go take a test. So yeah, he, he, uh, he did finally get her pregnant 19 or I guess 18 years into their marriage. Wow.
0: That's yeah. That's very challenging. It's a long time. Okay, tell us about when you found out that you were donor conceived.
1: <laughs> yeah, those air quotes in there. Yeah. Um, so my my second son was graduating from kindergarten. My fifth baby was not even a year old yet, um, and so my mom and her sister came to Tennessee for my son's kindergarten graduation and my aunt drove her really cool avalanche truck here. And so my, my oldest three kids wanted to ride in the big truck. And so my husband and my aunt drove the 45 minute drive to where we were going in my aunt's really cool truck. And so that left my mom and I, my mom and me with the two babies in my boring fan. And so my mom and I were never alone. Somebody was always around when I was with my mom still is. And so, um, we were, we were driving, we had 45 minutes at this point, my dad was probably four or five years into uh, a terrible, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, something like ALS health issues like ALS and, There was a little bit of dementia but mainly his muscles were just shutting down and so he was a few years into that and every time i would see him i could tell that he was a little worse than he was the last time i saw him i know how to use google i know how to look up medical issues but i never wanted to because i i didn't really want to know if it was genetic or not i didn't want to know hey there's a good chance that i could be where my dad is in 30 years I thought we were going to talk about my dad. And she said, well, I never actually told you about how you were conceived. It's like, okay, well, do tell. And she said, well, all those questions that I'd had as a kid, when my husband and I met and got married, we would have conversations about who I look like. And as a matter of fact, I think the week before I found out, we had watched an episode of House. And of course, House is based on him trying to figure out the, the health mystery. Why is this person sick? What's going on here? And it's, you know, complex and everything And this episode that we saw had a kid who was adopted, but his parents hadn't told him he was adopted. The things just weren't lining up. And so it came out, he was adopted. And so we talked about that again. We talked about it a number of times and I just thought I'm not adopted. My mom told me about and the first time she felt me move, they went to eat pancakes in the middle of the night to celebrate me moving. I was breached. So she had a C-section. And in my mind, I, they were a package deal. I either belonged to them or I didn't. I knew I belonged to her. So I just, just something didn't make sense though. I, I could not put, I didn't even know what the puzzle pieces looked like in order to put it together, much less what the picture looked like. I just knew things just didn't make sense in my brain. And so, um, yeah, as soon as my mom told me everything, all those puzzle pieces <laughs> came together. Finally, we had to do the kindergarten graduation. And so we got to the church where it was. And my husband's like, what's going on? tried calling you. You were really short with me. What? And, it, and I was, I was like, I can't talk right now. Mom and I are talking. And so he knew something was up. And so uh, just trying to get through that kindergarten graduation with this explosive thing in my brain when I really just want to be focusing on my six-year-old, that was challenging. And then we had to go home and my mom and aunt stayed with us and I had to, you know, put on a normal face. And yeah, that first night was, man, (laughs) that was so hard. It was hard. Yeah.
0: It's probably maybe both that a lot of things are falling into place but at the same time a lot of things are now have crashed completely to the ground have blown up
1: in your mind yes Yes.
0: so what are your what did your next steps look like I mean so now you're with them maybe the rest of that weekend but like you said you don't get a ton of with a lot of kids you don't get a ton of time just to sit and talk were you able to talk to your husband shortly after that to tell him what was going on or
1: Yeah, as soon as we got home, I just couldn't keep it in anymore. We had to sit through dinner before we got home and put on the happy mom face. And I'm so proud. And so when we got home, (laughs) I just let my mom and aunt take care of the kids. My husband and I went in our bedroom and I just sat in his lap and cried. My mom tried to tell me um, in in that first conversation, you know, We used a sperm donor, but I think that your dad is really your dad. And I don't think that she, let's see, I was, I was 32, almost, I, I just turned 32. I think even in the course of three decades, she had not fully accepted the reality of what she had done, because I think she was still hanging on to hope that my dad really was my biological dad. We had a lot of personality traits in common. And so but he raised me. Of course, I'm going to be like him in a lot of ways. So, um, so I sat in my husband's lap and cried and I said, pull up the, the eye chart. Remember in high school biology, the, the color, I cannot remember what it's called now. Um, the eye chart that shows the percentages of, you know, two brown eyed parents having a green eye child or whatever. Um, my mom has, blue eyes my dad had green eyes so my dad wore glasses and they were thick glasses and so i never paid attention to his eye color that green and blue eyed parents create a brown eyed child and my eyes are not just brown they are brown they are dark brown and so i'm um, just seeing that confirmed that my dad wasn't my dad i didn't need a dna test telling me he wasn't i cried and and my husband held me and that's My husband did a lot of holding me while I cried for a long time. Um, He was great at that because that's about all he, that's about all he could do. We had no idea like how to deal with this. So yeah, that first night, it it was tough. When my mom and aunt left the next morning, I immediately went into research mode and um, she was able to tell me, she remembered the name of her endocrinologist that she saw. And so I just started from there. And I, I had no idea what I was doing, but with Google, I was able to find kind of what I was looking for, just try to figure out how to look for things. I mean, this was a whole new world. I had to learn new vocabulary concepts. I had no idea that there was I, I thought I was a test tube baby. I'd heard that phrase because of Louise Brown in 78, which was a year after I was born. I I had no concept of really anything. So I had to learn this whole new language and subject. And and I didn't get to ease my way into it the way you do in college. I was thrown in and had to take a master level course <laughs> with, with no foundational understanding of even what I was doing.
0: Yeah. And it's in your life. It's a master course in like my actual life and background. So who's Louise Brown?
1: Um, She was the first, the first test tube baby. Oh, okay. See, I learned just enough then to know what I needed to <laughs> know. I didn't retain most of it if it didn't. Apply to well, that's great.
0: No, and people can go, we can all go Google that as well. Yeah, yeah. I just hadn't heard that name before. Okay. So you start all the research. I mean, was your first inclination or one of them to say, I want to find this guy, my biological father
1: kind of. I remember telling my dad uh, my mom that night um, so I've got a biological father. and she was like, yeah, I guess. But the the bomb that was dropped that obliterated my biological my biological connection to my dad and to my grandmother who was still alive um, hurt so deeply that I really couldn't even focus on the loss of the biological family. Um, I could only take one loss at a time. And so the first loss, the first six or eight weeks were just spent mourning over the loss of connection with my dad. And and really part of it was, was a small relief because I thought, okay, if his, If what he has and what he's dealing with is genetic, then that's off the table. So that's a good thing. But my grandmother lived to be almost 101. And so, I mean, she had pretty good (laughs) longevity there. But it really just devastated me to discover that I wasn't who I thought I was. And that was wrapped up in the loss of my dad. I wasn't who I thought I was. And so after that first six or eight weeks, then it moved into, Now I have to mourn for this, not just my biological father, but this whole family, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, this whole family history that I know nothing about. So it was a long period of mourning. And when I hear about people who go through really difficult things, um, like yesterday was the, the fourth anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death, him and his daughter. Like when I heard about it, I just could not imagine what his wife and children went through because it wasn't just the loss of one person; it was the loss of two. Like y- your brain doesn't even know how to comprehend two major losses at one time. Like we're, we're not built for that; yeah. we just aren't.
0: We have we have a number of stories of people who are donor conceived, and they share you know, I felt really disconnected from that, that, that father or mother that I learned wasn't mine, or they felt even negative, like some abuse or or things like that. And thankfully it sounds like you had a really wonderful experience. Your dad really loved you, cared for you and you were really connected. And so then it makes a lot of sense that, yeah, you're, you're just feeling a lot of, you know, you still want to, you love and honor and you still consider him your dad. But then at the same time, it's like, but we don't biologically belong together. There's It's like you're saying, there's information now that makes, it doesn't help me at all. Whether my grandma lives a long time or my dad has this disease that no longer helps me. Um, And now I have family, I thought was family that's sort of not in the sense of biological identity. And now I have this nebulous family somewhere else that I don't even know or can't even get to, but what was your, what was your, maybe your first conversation then with your dad when you found out? So he was sick and and you are saying he was struggling with some memory stuff as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He did somewhat. He, his, mainly his health issues were um, muscular and I just cannot remember. I need to have it tattooed on my hand. I cannot remember the name of what it was that he had PSP, Something supranuclear palsy. I can't ever remember the first. Anyway, so by that point, he was struggling to talk. My first conversation with him, I was able, it was it was six months later. And so I was able to tell him, dad, I love you. And you will always be my dad. Um, I didn't even call my father-in-law who I loved dad. He was always going to be my dad. And so I was able to tell him sincerely, nothing has, has changed in our relationship. You know, there are some men who are just, and women too, who are amazing step-parents and they really do love their non-biological kids. And my dad was one of those guys.
0: I love that. I'm really thankful even with the other, I mean, it was, the negative or unethical you know way that you were conceived and the loss that you had to experience i'm really thankful that you had a great love and and like you're saying we talk about that a lot he- heroic step parents and heroic aunts and uncles and pe- and grandparents who step in to parent children because like we talk about it really is about sacrifice it really is about i'm going to put the needs of this child before me and even though the choice for the conception, we would say, does not do that for a child, the way your dad loved you was doing that. So we're really thankful for that.
1: I, I was just going to say, one of, the, one of the things when I was blogging, I had my own personal blog, but I was also on um, a blog that no longer exists anymore. <laughs> it's now like a plumbing website, which is weird, but people who were in opposition to our opposition- to third party reproduction practices often said, well, you just had a bad experience. That's why you're against it. And I was able to say, no, I had a great experience. This is not sour grapes. I had a wonderful childhood. I had a wonderful relationship with my dad. I loved him. He loved me. And this is still wrong. It can happen. And, and so that just blows the, uh, the ammo (laughs) out of their hands where they try to make it all about emotion. I'm like, no, this, this isn't about emotion. It's about emotion for you because you want what you want, but I'm able to set aside my good emotions and still see the reality that this is not the way people are supposed to be created.
0: Right. That's a really good point. And we get a lot, I'm sure you've heard a lot of be glad. Why aren't you just glad you're alive? Are you saying you don't want all these people to be alive and we're saying not at all i'm so glad every human being is alive and especially from the christian perspective every single human has inherent value was made in the image of god and we believe certain ways to be conceived are unethical right so we have to be able to balance more than one thought in our brain
1: at a time yes
0: to the Them Before Us podcast. Make sure you head over to thembeforeus.com to find us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, donate, and more. Thanks for joining the movement. Yeah. Okay, so did you find your biological father?
1: I did. Excuse me. It took a long time. Let's see. I found him in February of 2015. So from two thousand nine to 15, six years. So let me back up. I'm a talker when it comes to this and all these things are related. And then I start saying something and then I'm like, oh, wait, I need to say this first. So she understands why I'm saying what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. No, So it's okay. when I first found out and was devastated and um, as a Christian, <clears throat> I was looking for a Christian perspective online. First of all, I didn't know anybody else who was, in my situation. So I felt like a unicorn. <laughs> and then when I finally found other unicorns, I was looking for a Christian. I was looking for a, a unicorn with two horns, I guess, which would make <laughs> me not a unicorn. <laughs> so like I wanted somebody who could talk to me like a Christian and I wasn't finding any anything like that and so I at least in the English speaking world. And so I started a blog just talking about going through this as a Christian. And, um, if anybody has really dug into research on, on donor conception, they've probably run across the name Karen Clark, who was part of the, um, I think the first, um, research paper on that, that had to, that, that used donor conceived people as the research body. Um, it was called my daddy's name is donor. Karen Clark had her Google alerts set up. So when something new hit the internet that had to do with donor conception, she knew about it immediately. So I published my blog and the next morning I had an email from her when I woke up waiting for me saying, Hey, my name is Karen. I found your blog. I sent it to all these Yahoo groups, which of course don't exist anymore, but that was, that was social media back then. And so, um, so Karen really took me under her wing. She was such a blessing to me. Um, She was not a Christian, but she, oh man, she was just like the mother hen that I needed. I don't know how many hours she spent on the phone with me, me crying, (laughs) talking to her, her helping me think through things. She was, she was amazing. Um, And so she encouraged me to do DNA testing. And, um, so I did one between my mom and me and my dad, because my mom was not convinced that my dad wasn't my biological father. And so my dad consented to that, even in his degenerative state. He, and so I had to be the one calling my mom saying, Hey, dad really isn't my biological dad, which is totally what. <laughs> that's not how it's supposed to be, right? Like the kid's not supposed to tell the parent what's going on. Um, so I did the big three DNA sites, um, family tree DNA, 23 and me and, um, ancestry.com. I think ancestry was the last one. And that was the one that I found him. And we, we had a lot of kids. We were really poor so it took a lot of time for me to save up money to do these DNA tests. But the last one my husband gave to me as a Christmas gift. And so um, it was Valentine's Day. Uh, whatever year that was that I said that I can't remember now, 2015. It was Valentine's Day when I found a first cousin who um, wasn't on the other three sites. The, the first site that I did was able to tell me that I was half Jewish, which was really, it was just really thrilling to know that I had a culture, like I'm just a white girl. I mean, when I was growing up in Texas and out in the sunshine all the time, uh, people assumed that I was Hispanic because I had this black hair and dark skin. Um, As a teenager, people would ask me if I was Asian because of the shape of my eyes. Like, I guess I just looked like a conglomeration of all kinds of ethnicities. So it was it was amazing to discover that I actually had a culture that I belonged to and not just, you know, an American white girl. Um, but that made the hurt even deeper because I didn't grow up Jewish. I didn't know anything about them other than what I would learned. And I'd always kind of been fascinated with Jewish culture. So, um, yeah, that's the long answer to that question. It took a long, it took six years to find him. And I found the first cousin and, um, she contacted her uncle and it took a month for him to get back with me. Um, he was sick at the time, so it was just not a good time, but also he had to take time to think through what am I going to do with this now? And so ultimately he, uh, He friended me on Facebook. We emailed back and forth numerous times. And he said, even though his, his uh, two or three people that he talked to about it, advised him not to have anything to do with me. He said, you were looking for me. How was I going to say no to that? And so finding him created a whole lot of healing from the hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, He was able to tell me about my, my family, I was able to find out about him, you know, the whole debate of nature versus nurture, my life (laughs) is, is that um, there, there are so many things that I'm like my dad, my, my mom's husband, there's so many things that I do the way he does. But when I first started talking to my biological father and we didn't actually even talk on the phone until, um, last year, oh, wow. 2023, um, but so much of what I would see in him, it was crazy. We have the same sense of humor that most people don't think is funny. He would say he would write things out and I would just be crying with laughter and I would tell my husband, read this. And he's like, that's not funny. I'm like, you just don't get it. It's hilarious. Like we have the same weird sense of humor. Um, and he would tell me, you remind me of my sister. She's a recluse in New York city. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> I, yeah, I would rather be a recluse, but I can't. And, and really I don't want to, but that's my tendency. And, and so he would see family traits in me, um, When my oldest child, my son was born, he looked like me and it was crazy because I had never seen anybody who looked like me before. And so um, I was able to take a picture of my son. I don't know, he was probably 19 at the time when I did it. A picture of him and then a picture of my biological father and put them together. I mean, my oldest son, is the spitting image of my biological paternal side. It's crazy how much, and then my youngest son <clears throat> looks like my husband, but his eyes, there was always just something about my youngest son's eyes. I'm like, I just, they just seem so familiar, but I don't know. It was weird. Like, I don't think he'll look like me, but there was just something innate that looked familiar. And so I saw pictures of my grandparents and my father, when he was younger with his sisters. And I was like, there's my son's eyes. Like it was, it's so crazy when you grow up, not looking like anybody to suddenly you see family traits and you can make those connections. It's kind of mind blowing. And for people who grow up with that, you don't think about it so much, but it's amazing. It's amazing when you've never had it before to now suddenly have that connection.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And I mean, those of us that have grown up in a traditional, you know, your mom, you know, your dad, and you don't know what that's like. There's some people that say, you know, if you're against this donor conception, then you'd be against adoption. What what do you say to people who, who try to say those are the exact same thing?
1: It's not, excuse me. It's not the same thing because an adoption through no fault of this child's own, which of course, it's never the child's fault. They're born into whatever situation. But if they're if they're in need of adoption, it's because something terrible has happened where their mother or their father can't raise them. Um, adoption is not the way it's supposed to be, but it's the way that it is because things that aren't supposed to be happen whether it's by death or just really terrible choices on the part of the parent um and so adoption provides for that child what the child is lacking it comes to the rescue and it's still often very ugly and I know there are people who have been adopted and it's wonderful it's a blessing and then others the trauma just continues throughout their life Mm -hmm. but adoption seeks to fill what's lacking in the child's life, donor conception, where you are using a third party or I can't even wrap my brain around children who have uh, egg donors sperm donor surrogate um, carrier, mother, intended mother, intended father. I mean, that's five people. (laughs) That's, that's, messy where there should not be mess. It's creating a situation where the child has lack on purpose, on purpose. Why would you do something on purpose? Life happens and you, you can't control death or, you know, there's so many things out of our control, but there's so many things within our control. Why would you do that on purpose? And I think Especially for those of us who were conceived before the internet age, where people could actually really do research outside of just whatever pamphlet their doctor or their sperm bank gave them, you know, my mom and lots of moms like that didn't realize that what they were doing was creating lack in their children And it wasn't until I was able to sit down months later and say, mom, this is, I have this whole biological family that I'm missing. Like the light bulb came on when I told her that she never thought about it. Like her, her desire was for a baby. And so it never occurred to her that, that she was creating a missing part of, of my life by what she was doing. And doctors certainly weren't there to um, <laughs> to say, hey, this is something you really ought to think about. I, I think a lot of doctors, they, they really want to help, but we know as Christians that the God of this world hates families and does whatever he can to cloak the importance of family. And um, there's so much there that people just, you don't think about it because you are, your, your goal is to have a baby and you just don't see anything else. You don't even realize that anything else out there exists other than I want a baby. So in that sense, I don't blame my mom. I don't blame parents back in the day because they, they wanted a baby. If you want a baby, that can be an all consuming desire. Parents today who everybody, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but pretty much everybody, they know how to use the internet to research what they want to do, to research. There is no excuse today for anybody to create a child this way and try to claim ignorance. You have to make a volitional decision despite the amount of evidence out there telling you this is a horrific idea don't do this you have to ignore that i i just cannot imagine that there are many people out there today still doing this who do not have some awareness that this is a bad thing but they think they're going to be the exception to the rule and now i'm going to raise my child right and there's not going to be any lack and it's going to be great and rosy and rainbows and butterflies and it's just it's just not i had the rainbows and butterflies And it still turns, (laughs) turns awful because of the reality of, of what happened.
0: Yeah. Well, and this is, we're talking about a billion dollar industry. So it's, there's money to be made. There might be people within that industry who care about, oh, I would just want to help people have babies. And there's a lot of people who are making millions of dollars. And when we talk about IVF, we've got embryos on ice indefinitely. And we talk about pro-life, you know. We get a lot of pushback. Are we, um, live action posted live actions, the pro-life organization that posted something about, yeah, they were just saying third-party reproduction and adoption are not the same. And they did a number of slides to say why almost every comment was I'm pro-life, but and they didn't see a problem with what was going on. And so I think there really is a lot of work to do to try and get people on board with, we need to take the logic from the pro-life movement. Katie likes to say, this is pro-life 2.0. You can't say you're pro-life and be okay with technologies that destroy lives. Literally, you know, the embryos that get shredded and, and left to die or researched on, etc. And we also, you know, like pro-family doesn't just mean any assortment of adults that want to do whatever they want and kids just go along with it. We're yeah. saying Because a child has a right to that one man and one woman they came from, you need to justify to me why they should not get that. You know, that's the basic. That's like the starting place. So that's what I'm telling people. Someone said, tell me one law that says a kid should get their mother and father. And I was like, it's natural law. They already do have that person. You have to tell me why they should be taken away from them.
1: There was a quote. I want to say Barry Stevens, who, again, if you've done much research, that name might be familiar. Um, I want to say it was him who said something along the lines of when a woman goes to the hospital and gives birth to a baby and the time comes for her to go home, she doesn't get to just pick out any baby in the nursery she wants. That's not how it works. You take home the child that you gave birth to. That's how it works because that's your baby. You don't just get to pick and choose. Children are not you know, clothing in a store that you go and try on. And oh, I like this one. So I'm going to take this one home.
0: Yeah. And when you suggest adoption to, to folks, they might say, but I want my own baby because they acknowledge the biological connection is important to them. Like you're saying with the hospital, they want to take home the baby they're biologically related to, but they're having a difficult time. And what we're trying to say is that's great. Totally understandable flip the perspective and now consider does the child want a biological connection to the people they're being raised by yes but also they don't want to be taken from the people that they're biologically connected to yeah we have um my donor's name is daddy the study on our website so we host <sighs> yeah. it because we okay, the cool. link ended up getting broken or so that was really cool and i'll make sure i put that link in the notes
1: yeah Yeah, that was um that was pretty groundbreaking when it came out. Um and Karen Clark, I I think she's really tried to pull back from from um being a public advocate. So sorry, Karen, if you hear this and (laughs) are not thrilled that I threw your name out there, but she was amazing. She was a blessing to me. I love to sing her praises.
0: That's great. Well, we can just kind of wrap up with, with chatting about what did life, what was your life like, you know, from all of that kind of turmoil, things really started to break down, make, make sense, but then break down. But to now, what's that healing process been like? Do you feel like you've been able to connect with others and help others because of your story?
1: Um, I hope that I have, because that was the, that was the goal. Um, as a Christian, I wanted to be able to minister to others. Um, and also, there were so many um, secular atheist people out there who were hurting so badly. And I, I remember in the beginning, there were a handful of people. I just thought, Lord, please just let me shine some sunlight into their lives because they are so angry and so bitter they needed the gospel i don't know that anybody has come to know the lord because of me but i hope that what they saw in me was different um when i was blogging on this one particular family website where there were a lot of hostile people my goal was not to win the argument it was to win the person and so that has kind of been what has guided me as i talk with people you know any anybody can Beat somebody over the head with their point of view, but they're not going to necessarily listen to what you're saying. And so <clears throat> I found that people weren't as hostile to me as they were to other people who had my exact same view because of the way I went about it. And it was no it was no brilliance on my part. I saw it in other arenas of life where there was a, a particular documentary called Collision between a pastor in Idaho, Doug Wilson, and Christopher Hitchens, and this this documentary was um, following them on their book tour. Christopher Hitchens was an atheist. Doug Wilson was a pastor. They went on this book tour where they were basically just arguing each side, but I saw in Doug Wilson's approach that um, he used presuppositional apologetics, and that was one of those things first I had to learn how to say it. It was a mouthful. But just the way he went about um arguing and debating with Hitchens, it was very winsome. and he was he's brilliant, but he he was not a jerk so much. Um, he was able to just really connect as a person. And so I wanted to really be able to connect to people. you're You're not just an argument to be put down. You're a person I want to connect with. And so, that was a pretty sweet thing that led to, um, a lot of different opportunities to talk to media. I got to participate in a documentary. Um, I was, (laughs) I was thinking last night as I was thinking about getting ready for this today, I remembered I was in the UK version of Cosmo. There was an article about me. Yeah. If one of my daughters brought Cosmo home, I would like, I don't know what I would do. (laughs) set the magazine on fire and then like ground them till they were 30 or something. But um, so it, and talking about this openly, particularly as a Christian, because that's what made me a little unique and has opened, excuse me, a lot of doors to be able to just say things in a way that um, I hope is, is winsome so that people say, oh, she's not such a jerk after all let me listen to what she says but also as a christian i really had to deal with the fact that god is still sovereign over everything including the things we don't like and i frequently went back to genesis um joseph's life where his brothers his 10 older brothers hated him they sold him into slavery Lots of things happen at the end. Their father dies and the brothers are terrified that Joseph is now going to rain down hell on them for what they did to him. And he says, no, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. It's not just God used it for good. Anybody can, can accept, well, God just allows things to happen, but that's not what it says. They sold him into slavery on purpose, but God had a purpose in it. <clears throat> and reconciling man's responsibility and God's sovereignty was a hard thing to wrap my brain around in my conception because I did a lot of research, I did a lot of soul searching, and, and um, reading. What is marriage? What is what does it mean to be a parent? And I had to come to the conclusion that this was not a godly, moral practice, and yet this is how I was brought about Mm -hmm. and it was not good and yet God made good from it. Mm -hmm. And so that's a hard thing that theologians have wrestled with through the ages is we have these bad things. We know God is good. How in the world does he create good out of the bad? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, he just does because he's God and he's a whole lot smarter than we are, and he's able to do things that we can't understand. So yeah, I, I'm thankful for my life. I do not recommend people do this to create people, but I'm still thankful for my life. And my hope is that people would think logically and rationally beyond just their emotions, beyond just their desires to see in what you said, um, that parents want a biological connection to their children. Children want a biological connection. It's a two way street, it goes both ways. Let's not just stand on the road that we think points to us being right. Let's look at the whole of the situation because we know what's right. That's That's why we rebel against it because we don't like what's right a lot of times.
0: Well, we're really thankful for your life and your story. Thanks so much for coming to share. And you are our new favorite two-horned unicorn, as you <laughs> like to say earlier. Can people find you anywhere? Do you still uh, speak or post your um, your incognito now?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I haven't looked at my blog and I I don't know how long it's probably been a couple of years. I couldn't even tell you the name of the website. (laughs) If you Google Stephanie blessing donor conceived, you'd probably find various things. Um, but yeah, finding my biological father brought about a lot of healing and I have a lot of children and life is very full. And it just, once that healing took place, it just kind of moved to the back burner, but I love having opportunity when it comes up um, to be able to speak to people. So thank you so much for, for having me on. I, it was fun to do this. Whether you are religious or irreligious, whether you are single, married, gay or straight, if you are defending the rights of children, you are one of us. Thanks for joining this global movement to put them, the children, before us, the adults.